0: You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. This message by George Sneeman entitled The Heart of the Father Hidden in the Mother was recorded at Wellspring Church on May 13th, 2012.
1: I'm going to introduce today's speaker. Uh, George Sneeman is the president and founder of Hands at Work in Africa and to give you a little bit of a backdrop, the last time we've, we finally figured it out, the last time he spoke here was in 2008. And so it's been a little bit of a while. So many of you, as Chris shared, have heard, at least if you've been with our church for a while, you've heard about Hands at Work from different people, uh, different sources, literature, pictures, video. But what I have Come to realize, and I think this is generally the case for most people, is that you can hear all of these words, but it's not the same as going and seeing. That's probably the best of the means by which we can really get a taste of what's going on. But I would say second best is George coming and speaking, <laughs> and I think you'll see why after he speaks. I've known George um, since 05. A team of us. Went there, five guys, including myself. Actually, Ken Kwok, he's here. Um, he went with us, and then there's three other guys. One is my brother-in-law, si Young, who's in Christ Church, and then two other guys who, are no, who, who have moved on from and are out of the Bay Area. But we went, and we don't know what to expect, but the Lord just provided so many opportunities and means by which we could have a picture of his heart for especially the fatherless. And I remember during that trip, I tried all that I could to say, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Here's the problem with trying to hold in crying is you hold it in too long. By the time it actually comes, it comes like a faucet. And that's exactly what happened. last day, last moment, and I was slobbering Um, primarily because of what I felt as though was the primary message of God's heart for the fatherless, but as well as, just the hands community and the fellowship that they share together. And especially George and his deep love, not just for the fatherless, but for Jesus. I hope you see that come through throughout his message. I have seen that personally and in his messages. I've seen it in the way he and Carolyn, his wife, and we're privileged to have Carolyn here with us as well, the way that they live together and the way that they have truly been sold out for Jesus. If any of you ever listened to Keith Green, okay, I'm dating myself, but Keith Green used to say, I'm bananas for Jesus. And I feel as though that's a great picture of George and Carolyn. They're bananas for Jesus. And the way they, they don't just say it, they live it. Um, I love the fact that George has a heart for the orphan and the widow, but he would tell me stories of how, in, in South Africa, when you park your car at the mall or any shopping area, there's always a, a security guard that actually watches your car. You have to tip them. In some sense, it's a hassle because you're constantly tipping people over and over again. And George was sharing with me a story of how he would just really bring the gospel even to that guy who would watch the car. It's part of his life to talk about Jesus. So it's not just about the orphan and the widow, but it really is about who Christ is. And that I have seen lived out in his life when our family was there, just being able to spend time with him to just for him to be able to, in the midst of his business, spend time with me. He has given me fatherly advice, not to say that he 's fatherly age, but um, a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience, and I'm thankful for that. So why don't we just welcome George as he comes forward and <laughs> give that
0: word? Good morning. morning. Can you hear me okay? Thank you, Sam. It's it's wonderful to be here and and to be in your new building. I haven't been in this church. Last time we were in somebody else's church, actually. And um, thank you, Sam and and Shoah, for allowing us to be here with you. And um, the Wellspring family for allowing me to share with you this morning um, we've got a long, long relationship and standing with Wellspring. So it's always special for us to be here uh, with you guys. And uh, I also want to thank Lauren and uh, Henry for just allowing us to be here. And they work so hard on our behalf. And we just love and appreciate them so much. And, and all the people that support Hands Volunteers, right from the beginning huge sacrifices were made by many of you guys sitting here on behalf of us as we sit, we want to focus in Africa we want to continue what we do um, the first stronghold or little hold we had in the United States came through your church and um, we love that we love the fact that God used wellspring and he used Sam and, and a group of men that came there on their own. I can tell you many stories about that. <laughs> but, but God in his wisdom, he looked at that and he said, I will use you to, to expand uh, the influence in, in the United States. And we are so committed to that. And we are so sure that what God wants to do in Africa through the United States is not because he needs you. Okay, Actually, He doesn't, but He loves you. I love that verse where God, Jesus said, "Come, Son, come with me into my vineyard today. And I think that is, that's the invitation that Jesus is giving to you in Wellspring, and that's the road that He's taking us on. Um, I also want to thank Stephen and Amy just for their hospitality, for looking after us. Last night I was so tired. <laughs> In Stephen's car, I fell asleep while they were talking to me. Uh, and they are gracious enough to uh, to understand that. I heard them all laughing, so I realized, okay, they obviously spoke to me. <laughs> Thank you for for that. And, and I'm so happy that my wife, Carolyn, can be here with me. It's always a huge privilege for me to have her because... Um, I travel maybe five months a year and very seldom at Carolyn's with me. And so the fact that you guys allowed that and, and made it possible for us, we are so grateful. It's few moments that we're away from home where Carolyn can see um, what I do. So today is Mother's Day, and that's huge. And I love the fact that I've got the privilege to speak to you on Mother's Day because it's, it's nearly like that bizarre thing that Sam spoke about um, the poverty and, and the background, this incredible um, Malawi. Certainly Malawi is the land that God was very particular and creative when he created. And I tell you, it's, it's just magnificent. But in the midst of it, uh, life-size, 3D, the brokenness of mankind. But this morning we, we speak about Mother's Day. And I want to read something to you quickly. Mothers are teachers, mothers are disciplinarians, mothers are cleaning ladies, some mothers are gardeners and mowing the lawn, other mothers understand that baking cookies is more important than washing windows. Mothers are nurses and doctors and psychologists and counselors and chauffeurs and coaches. Mothers are developers of personalities, molders of vocabularies, shapers of attitude, Mothers are soft voices saying, I love you. And mothers are a link to God. A child's first impression of God's love. The author Irma Bombeck said this well. She said that on the day God created mothers, you already worked long and overtime that day. And the angel said to him, Lord, are you sure you are spending, you are surely spending a lot of time on this one? And the Lord said, you have to read the specs on this model. She's supposed to be completely washable, but not plastic. She's to have 180 moving parts, all of them replaca- replaceable. She's to have a kiss that will heal everything from a broken leg to a broken heart. She's to have a lap that will disappear when she stands up. She's to be able to function on black coffee and leftovers. She's supposed to have six pairs of hands. Six pairs of hands? The angel said, that's impossible. Oh, it's not a six pair of hands that bothers me. It's a three pair of eyes. She's supposed to have one pair of eyes that can see through closed doors so that whenever she say, what are you kids doing in this? She already knows what they are doing. She has another pair of eyes in the back of her head. My children believe that. Absolutely. And she can see all things that are not supposed to be seen but must be seen. And then she has one pair right in front of her that can look at a child that just goofed and communicate love and understanding without saying a word. That's too much, said the angel. You can't put that much in one model. Why don't you leave it for tomorrow? No, I can't, said the Lord. I'm close to creating someone very much like myself. I've already come up with a model that can hear, heal the sick when she is sick who can feed the family of six on one pound of hamburger and who can persuade the nine year old to take a shower <laughs> the angel touched the mother and said she's too soft oh she's tough said the Lord you'll be surprised how much a mother can do mothers the heart of the father hidden in the mothers this morning if I must say to you how many of your children here in wellspring are growing up without mothers what would be the number the country where Sam and them have been one out of four children do not have a mother or a father and very soon in the next two and a half years, I think, it will be one out of three children will not have the privilege of having a mother that can do these amazing things that we hear about. Losing a mother is one of the most traumatic things that can happen to a child. But to add to that is that once they lost their mother, there is nothing and no supporting system behind that that can help them. Recently, we had a boy, while he's now a young man, his name is Elvis. Elvis was about 11 years old when he lost his mother and his father. He shared with us, and Elvis said to us, Oh, I remember those nights where I wept so much on my pillow that it was too wet to sleep on. He said that those nights I will lie in my bed and I will say, God, you have thrown me on a rubbish dump. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for you and for me in 2012 that we live in a world where today as I speak to you 6,000 children will bury their last parent just in sub-Sahara Africa? It's so hard for us to understand it. It's so hard for us to grasp it. When we are in a world every day where it seems to be so far and there are so many things that keep us so busy. I remember when I was actually in Malawi in one of the slum areas outside Lilongwe, and it just happened that I walked into a hut where there were three boys. The oldest boy was 15 and they just buried their last parent And they got back into their hut. And as they got back, I walked into that hut. And I stood there with them in their hut. And I experienced that moment, that sheer devastation of those children realizing that tomorrow morning when they get up, there's going to be nobody. There's going to be nobody. I walked around that village. I had a number of church leaders with me. And I saw a girl sitting outside her shack. She just sat like this on a mud step. And I, and I walked to her and I sat down next to her. I asked her this question. Tell me about your life. You know, we greet each other every day. Good morning, how are you? We don't even wait to hear what the person says. I sat next to this girl. She's most probably never even seen a white person. I sat next to her. I looked in her eye and I said to her, tell me about your life. And this child, this child just opened up to me. She was 12 years old. She lost her last parent when she was nine. She lived alone in that heart where she sat that day when I walked past her. And she shared that with me. I, I could not comprehend that. I could not. My throat closed up. I thought, how in God's name does a child survive from 9 to 12? Guys, there's no social workers. There's, no, there's nothing like that. You live in a village where the income is less than a dollar a day per person. And, and it was just like God just gave me this, this connection with this young girl. I said to her, you've got to tell me, I want to know, what's the hardest thing that ever happened since your mom died until today? I mean, she told me how she had to leave school immediately. She had to go and learn how to walk into the bushes, sometimes for hours. Facing abuse, facing snakes whatever, to try and pick up dry wood, to carry it back to the village, so that she could just give it to somebody that might give her something to eat for the day she told me how she had to leave school, and how painful that was and how she had to learn how to become economically active, how she had to start competing with a grown up woman for her place in the market to survive, and how she was abused and, and rejected I said to her, What was the single toughest thing that ever happened from that day till today? And without hesitation, she looked at me and she said this to me You are the first person that came to visit me. Friends, that's unacceptable. But you know, I I had a whole group of church leaders standing about 10 meters away. I I went to them. I said, did you know she's an orphan? They said, oh yeah, we know. You know, I had to share her story with them. They didn't know. Even the people in the villages, they do not know. It's like they are blinded. The most vulnerable are hidden away. Beautiful feet, beautiful feet that was prophesied by Isaiah and that Jesus spoke about and that you see everywhere. Beautiful feet has got the ability to burst into those people's lives. That's what we were created for. That's the thing that God is speaking when He's speaking about His heart. I found a a beautiful verse. Beautiful I mean, I must have read it 10,000 times and suddenly it became rhema to me. I read it and I thought this, this is so cool. This is so amazing. I want to share this sentence with you from 1 John 2 6. Simple. But it should challenge our theology. It should challenge our Christianity. It should challenge everything that we think and do. Listen to this. 1 John, verse 2, 1 John 2 verse 6. Whoever claims to live in Him, must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in Him, must live as Jesus did. So the question begs to be answered, how do we know how Jesus lived? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought for a moment that when the Father, Son and Holy Spirit in whichever way communicated and and the decision was made that Jesus would burst into the world and display the message saying the Word became flesh and dwell in our neighborhood. When Jesus came to introduce Emmanuel to show us God, surely, surely the way He did it must have said so much about the character of our Father. Surely the way Jesus lived must have been, it's not just coincidental, it's not just, It was. he was clearly, clearly trying to define to us, I want to show you the heart of the Father. I want you to catch that. And, and, and for us to understand that he's the salvation, he's the one that came. Now John, the one who loved Jesus, the disciples said, if you say you live in him, you must be living like Him. Paul described it so beautifully. I, I've got to read it to you. Paul described it for us in Philippians 2. It's just like Paul suddenly ripped the curtain open and Paul speak and he said to us, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, live in Him. If you live in Him, if any comfort in His life, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing. Do nothing. Brothers and sisters, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others higher than yourself, not looking down on the interest on your own interest, but each of you on the interest of others. in your relationship with one another, have the same mind as Christ, who being and yet comes, yes, this is who Jesus was, who, being in very nature, God, He was God, did not consider equality with God. To be used for his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing. Taking on the very role of a servant. Being made in human kindness. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. It is only when we understand and become real in us who Christ was when He came. In the Good Samaritan at the end, He said, Now that you know, do likewise. It's, he's not asking us to keep 6,000 laws. He's not asking us to, to be super religious. and He's not asking us. He say, Man, if... If I'm in you, the heart of my father will pump in your ribcage. You will be compelled. You will do it. You will be like that. In Zimbabwe, the number one nation now, according to UNICEF, where the children are the most vulnerable in the world, I was in a slum called Sakuva. It's a slum where there's no hope. 100% unemployment. Suffering, drunkenness and pain. And there I met Melissa, the girl with the yellow hat. a <laughs> huge yellow hat. All the clothing that she possesses, she was wearing every day. It was only three skirts or three dresses, but she could she wouldn't dare to take one of it off because it would disappear like that. So she would wear all three dresses every day. And she lived with her grandmother, Agnes. Sixteen orphans and a grandmother living in a room this wide and this long 17 people one bed one bed with a mattress that you will not let your dog sleep on and I found them in Sukupa through Melissa because Melissa was just she caught my eye running around in a slum Followed him back. You know, it was a Friday night. That slum is not a good place to hang around when it gets dark. But I was compelled. I could not drag myself out of that house. I sat in that house as the sun went down that Friday night. I sat there with my back against the wall. I could feel, <laughs> I could feel things biting me in my back. And I was sitting there. Cement floor. Sixteen children. Agnes, blind, the grandmother. All she can do every day. Big, big in a country where there's nothing. And I look at that. I look at what's happening there. And I think where I come from. I think. I think about this. I think about this, and I say, if this is not good enough for them, it's not good enough for me. If this is not giving life to them, if this is not drawing a line and saying unacceptable, no, the answer is no, then it's not good enough for me either. And I sat and I said, God, what is this? You know, the eldest girl there, her name, she was 16 years old. I asked her, I said to her, tell me the truth. I mean, I speak honest with people. I want the truth, you know. I said to her, tell me the truth. How do you guys survive? It cannot be. I mean, your grandmother's blind. How do you guys survive? That girl picked up an orange. She held it like this. She said to me, I cannot pick an orange without putting my body on the line. you know I made a commitment to them there I said to them I will not rest until we get to you guys today all those children are in school they're eating once a day in our care center and the last time I went back to Zimbabwe we were working I was working with Farai he said Zimbabwe and we were working working and it was a Saturday and a Sunday I had to go very far into the deep rural to go and speak there and it was Saturday afternoon, about 5 o'clock, and I was dead tired. And we drove past that slum where Agnes and Melissa and them are staying. And, you know, inside me there's a voice that said to me, George, go and see Agnes today. But I had a hundred excuses. I mean, I was the honest truth was I was just dead on my feet. And I thought, next time, another plan. God, you don't expect that of me. Lord, I've already spent my whole day. But you know, as we drove past that slum, it was so clear. I said to Farai, "Fry, can we quickly just go and see Agnes and Melissa? He said, come, let's go. We drove into that slum area again as the sun was setting. And I sat there, the children were all playing, and, and Grandmother Agnes was sitting on the floor there. And I sat next to her. I tell you, when I met her, it was like she was expecting me. She didn't seem surprised at all. But she was different. She was pushing me. Three times, three times she said to me, George, are you sure there's enough food for the children? I said, Agnes, as long as I eat, they will eat. I will not eat if I can't eat. I'm telling you now, I'll stand with Melissa and the the orphans with her. Three times she said to me, are you sure? After that we prayed and as I prayed, I had such a clear, clear picture that Agnes was going to see again. Now I'm not, I'm not the wild guy running around and telling people you're going to see. It. I'm not doing that. <laughs> so it, it was huge for me. But the impression was so strong that I, I, I had no choice. I had to say. I said, Agnes, I, I just got to tell you, it's, it's so clear in my heart that I believe God is saying you're going to see very soon. I, I don't know what it means. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give a hope But I tell you, it was as clear, as clear as it could be. And she just smiled. I got in a car, I drove off. Two hours later, they phoned me. And they said to me, she died. You know, the pain that that woman went through in her life is indescribable. It's unacceptable. But. Before she died. She found love. She found Christ. She got we letter to the Lord. She found not just Christ. But the goodness of Christ. The children. She buried all her own children. And his grandchildren in a land of no hope. She asked the man, myself, who I believe she trusted very much. She asked me three times, George, will my children be fine? I said to her, yes. She died with a piece of Jesus. You know, she should never have suffered like that. But beautiful feet burst into her life. Because there are people that are saying, for God's sake, it's just not good enough to go to work, to make money, to go on pension and to die. How sick can you be? I mean, how messed up can we be? If that is what we think is life, Agnes is not poor. We are poor. Agnes should not be pitied. We should be pitied. If it's for us to make the new car in the next house and then we can go and die. It's sick. And I really believe that God wants to speak to us through this tragedy in Africa, not because He needs us, not because we're going to find salvation there. It's not like that. I mean, let's just grow up. We all know we are saved by grace. Man, none of us can do anything. I wish I could share with you two hours about my own testimony. Maybe it's easy for me to understand grace because of where I come from. I knew there was not a chance for me. If it had to be a, a list of most wanted people going to hell, I must probably be in the top ten or something. I was saved. But it's because, it's because my father's heart is so compassionate that I'm compelled to spend every minute of my life <laughs> to burst into the lives of Melissa and Agnes and to bring hope and to say there's a God of love there are people all over the world who follow Jesus and if we say he lives in us we need to live like him who is living it out everybody can't go to Africa God forbid we will be in big trouble if all of you guys come to Africa I mean we like you but not that much (laughs) losing a mother is one thing to lose your children and then to look after your grandchildren friends it's huge care workers introduced me to two boys Bismarck and Prince Bismarck sharp as a razor just amazing young boy, just amazing 16 years old ready to do A-levels but he got kicked out of school because of $50 a year thrown out I went into his shack also one bed it's him, his brother Prince about 6 years old TB, HIV positive very underweight, just sitting on the floor coughing the whole time and his dad his dad, well, well Bismarck and I were sitting on the edge of the bed. His dad is busy dying behind us. On his last legs, skin and bone, he's dying. We can do nothing about it. His mother left him about six months ago because she just couldn't cope. She just packed the bags and she left. And there I'm sitting with Bismarck and he tells me the story about his school. As if it's not enough He said to me In the slum It's in a slum If you walk out of the Corrugated shack You step into a mess mud and Surits and everything And he said to me Even that Shack They're going to be kicked out Because they can't pay the rent I said I said Bismarck What do you mean they kick you out? Where, where do you go to? He said It's guys who come in there They'll take all their belongings Now his dad is lying behind him Busy dying he said, okay, come and take my dad, all our belongings, throw it in a mud, and then put a chain around the door. Bismarck is 16 years old. And I'm trying to think, how 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 do I help you? How do you cope? How do you do how do you do life? How's that for life? How, how's it possible? you know as we sat there somebody knocked on the door the door opened and there was a lady I guess in her late twenties Bismarck jumped off his bed he shouted "Yes, my mother and he ran to her and he jumped into her arms I thought and praise God Bismarck's mom came home it's going to be a happy ending she's going to have a bag full of money they're going to be lucky (laughs) no, no it wasn't his real mother she ran away it was just a Christian Just somebody that followed Jesus and who lives like Jesus, who knew that they were suffering. And she adopted them. And she goes there every day to go and sweep and to go and take them food. Her name is Jane. In her mid-20s. I said, Jane, tell me about your life. Tell me about your life. Jane said, Well, I'm staying not far from here, and I've got three orphans in my house. It's my sister's children, and she died. I said, How do you do this, Jane? She said, I get up at half past four in the morning. Then she walked, well, in miles, about eight miles. She walks to a farm. Then she tried to buy cheap vegetables. Then she walks back to the city, and she tried to sell the vegetables. On a good day, she makes two dollars. She doesn't just look after her and her three orphans. I mean, in her late 20s, she should feel cheated that she's going to bring up her sister's children. She should be looking for a husband. She's not just looking after her three kids, guys. Because Christ is in her. She met Bismarck and she said, I can't just let it go. I've got to do something. Why? because Jesus is inside. In Zulu we say bakati. He lives in here. He pumps in here. You yeah, know, I thought how is it possible that you can do that? You know, I made so many James like that. I get so angry. I get so angry that they've got to carry that burden alone. In Galatians 6 2, we read, Carry each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. (laughs) Fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus let everything go for you. Many were slaughtered, you were slain. He was stripped. Corinthians say, He became poor so that you can become rich. Have you ever caught that message? Do you understand that He became poor for you? No. There's no way we understand it. We lie it. If we understood it, of course we will do the same. Of course. I mean, for goodness sake, how is it possible that somebody was slain for you and me? And we look at suffering and we couldn't be bothered because we worried about what what next we can buy. And that's a pain in my heart as I sit there and I watch Jane and I say, Jane, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know how to help you. I just wonder, you know, when I look at those things I think, God, when you come back and you see Jane, and you see the rest of us. And that's going to be embarrassing. It's going to be tough. I don't care how it fits in for my theology. So we finished there, and Jane said to me, George, you want to come with me? I, I'm going to go somewhere. I said, Yes, let's go. Saturday morning, yeah, we walk through a slum. Jane walks next to me. I mean, it's like I'm walking next to Jesus, I promise you. I'm so proud. This woman is just like my hero. Uh, I mean, she's, I, I know her only for half an hour, but if she say, I don't care what she say about the Bible, I'll say that's true. <laughs> because she loves Jesus. You know? I'm walking next to her, and we're going to the next shack. As I walked in, I just saw this girl, 19. I tell you, it's one of the most beautiful girls I've ever seen in my life when I looked at the Zimbabwe and, and I still thought oh God she's in trouble living in a slum like this and we stood inside we literally stand like this against each other that's how small the room is and there against a mother lying on her deathbed dying of AIDS three children the girl is the eldest we started talking and I sat next to that girl and I said to her I'm sorry to ask you this, but it's so important for me that you speak the truth to me because I want the truth to cut me so that I can understand how do you get food for your family? Come on, tell me. I want you to tell me. And she looked at me and she said to me, if somebody brings us food, I said, "Nah, you're not telling me the truth. I want to know the truth. She said, no, really. I said, you mean you don't put your body on the line? She said, no, I don't have to. Somebody's bringing us food. I said, who? <laughs> she looked past me and she looked at Jane. Mm-hmm. You know, I just best tears it just it can't be. How can she do that? Two dollars a day. Her own three orphans Bismarck and, and Prince. Another family. How's it possible? A girl in her 20s laying her life down, living Jesus. I said, Jane, how do you do that? Yes, she said, God is faithful. God provides. How beautiful are the feet of them that bring the good news. love Isaiah 58 Jesus speaks Isaiah 58 and he lifted. but from this I'm going to read you from verse 10 and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday the Lord will guide you always you will satisfy your needs in a sun scorched land and He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. And will rise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls. The restorer of the streets of dwellings. The walls in Africa are broken down. The gates have been burned down. There's no plan B. There's no United Nations or USAID that can do this job. It takes much more than money. Much more. It takes knowing their names. It takes touching them and bringing hope. Goma, a war-stricken city, invaded by five different foreign armies, swiped twice by a volcano. We work in a village called Luhonga, Consists only of refugees that fled from all over that district. Fleeing after their families who slaughtered. The first time I went there, I met with all the Christians. I always work through the church. <coughs> met with all the Christians, and I started speaking to them. And I take the Bible, and I tell them about the heart of the Father. I share to them God's heart. And one woman jumped up, and she said to me, I know what our problem is. I said, what's it? She said, we forgot how to love. raped, they've been executed, they've been marginalized to the point where they forgot how to love I met a grandmother in the heat of the Congolese summer she sat outside a shack made of plastic, only this high about a meter and a half, it's just like a little tunnel sat there, her whole entire family got wiped out the piece of land that she had was taken by a corrupt official and she was given that morning, that very day that I got there, she was given that money to pull out her plants, her Afri- African potatoes or she would lose it and she, she was chased off her land and there she sat in front of her shack the plants lying there in the heat of the sun. And she just sat there. At that moment, I walk in there. Coincidental? <laughs> no, I tell you what. Our oh God, our oh God is crying. Who can I send? Who will bring my life? Who? The world, the world is ripped to pieces. Who? Who? walk in there and she said to me I'd ask her tell me about your life she said I don't care I want to die I just got this was the final thing they've taken now my I've got nothing to live for the chief of that village is a young man Christoph he's in his late twenties early thirties I said to him Christoph I need a piece of land he said there's no land I said to him don't give me that answer I want a piece of land I just Turned the screws on this guy. He said to me, "I'll give you a piece of land." It was about from here to the stairs. I was there with Eric and uh, Amy from Rwanda. I said to the Eric, "He's a Congolese." I said Eric, "Get us three hose. We took a hose. in the middle of a day. This whitey, soft hands. The whole village stood there. I mean, I was a, a laughing stock. They were screaming. The children were rolling on the ground. It was, it was the show for them. There we stood and we broke the ground. And we wouldn't stop. It was me and Eric and Amy. And we just carried on and on. After about 40 minutes, I thought my arms were going to fall off. I, I just thought I couldn't go another shot. And one woman joined us. And the two young men joined us. And the next moment, there were just people. And we tilted that ground in the middle of the day. And we planted this grandmother's potatoes back. And people just cheering. The, the love of God exploded in a war-torn village with no hope. No hope. And then we planted it. And when it was all planted, I mean, I, I was so proud of that. I couldn't believe it. We all did it. And suddenly the whole village stood there and they all stared at me it's like ok now you can speak and I said to them Pakad the one inside me has forced me to come here I was too scared to go there people said to me don't go there it was a war torn area I didn't want to But I was compelled to go there. And what happened is I didn't work out a huge strategy. I didn't have big plans. I planted potatoes. And the kingdom of God came into that village. You know what happened? The granny came to me with a little bowl of water and she gave it to me and there was a cake of soap about this beak and I washed my hands. I never even thought about it. I washed my hands, I said thank you and I walked away and Eric the Congolese came running after me and he said to me, George, I'm sorry but you don't know what just happened. I said, what do you mean? He said, he stood behind and he listened to that granny and she spoke to all the bystanders. That piece of soap Was her most valued possession she had in her life. She would use it on a Sunday morning before she goes to church. Nothing else. Nothing. You know what she did? She looked at that and she said, Today, somebody brought hope to me, and I want to give them the very best I have. That woman gave me her soap that day. She said, You take the soap. How beautiful are the feet of them. It will bring good news. God's crying. Who will go for me? Who will go and build the walls again? I want to encourage you to go and read Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the most amazing book. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was like a Like a techie working in Silicon Valley. Okay? He had his BMW and he had Levi's and leather boots. Okay, I won't go further. He had gel in his hair, (laughs) which is all okay. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Unless it's your God. Unless it's your God. But there's nothing wrong with that per se. but you see, Nehemiah had all of that. He was a yuppie. I mean, he was very influential in young But then he heard. He wept. He prayed. And then he paid the price. He put everything on the line. He said to his king, I want to go and sort it out. I heard that there was people whose walls have been burned down. King, it's not good enough for me to go home And to play racquetball and to drive to work tomorrow. I can't. I heard. I've got to. I've got to do something. Why? Because the living God is alive in me. You cannot hear and carry on with your life. If the living God is in you. So God has called us to rebuild the Nehemiah Walls. Why does he ask you? I want to start closing with this. I want to say, <laughs> it's tough for me to be <laughs> when the house is on fire at home. It's tough. They need me in Africa. We are fighting it. Eh? But I'm totally, 100% convicted and convinced that God only works for His body. Because the body is the only one who's anointed and who's got the mandate that can bring life and transformation. And God is as concerned, and this is the bottom line, God's as concerned about you as He, as he is about coma. Today, 26,000 children will be dying in Africa. 26,000 today. They say that more than 80% of them could have been saved with less than a dollar. I think when Sam and them were in Zambia, they found a child that had malaria for four days already. If they did not go there that day, the child would have died that week. Life is cheap in Africa. But I want to say this. Life is cheap here also. And as many, as much as we lose 26,000 children physically, you lose them spiritually. You are dying spiritually. You are dying by the thousands. And you know the biggest enemy. It's the big sea. It's called consumerism. It's cancer and it's eating you up from inside. It's destroying you. And I really believe with my whole heart as I stand here that as this life, you, and that broken life in Africa, as they come together, John 10.10 10, that say, I have come to bring life and life and abundance. Happen for both. Because we have just seen by the hundreds as people come to Africa and they meet the children, they meet the grandmothers, and they walk out and they say, why do I feel somehow I'm the poor one here, not that grandmother. If I may request one thing today to you as a church, you'll be delighted to know it's not going to be money. (laughs) No. If I may request one thing from you today, said church. The church is a long standing of hands. And I can share with you my heart about the church. I want to plea with you. Become very focused in growing up and becoming mature. Because the church in the first world is divided, it's falling apart, there is division. There is grumbling. There is fighting. There is rebelliousness, and the head is coming back. And he say, the brightest make yourself ready. I believe the one way to become mature and to make yourself ready is to learn again what it means to give, to let go, send people. Send volunteers. Pray. Send money. Get involved in something that's not about you. It's about others. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That's the gospel we were singing this morning. Go and live it. Use your fingerprint. Use your time, your talent and your treasure. Be ruthless in giving. Train your children to give till they bleed. It's not just good for Africa. It's good for you. Be a city on a hill, the salt of the earth, so that the whole world may see your good works and glorify your Father. Who is in heaven God bless you
1: thank you for joining us
0: org.